1: Football on Off The Ball They've got as much quality high up the pitch as any team on a struggle and if you're Liverpool's party, you think oh this isn't great but suddenly in a 10-15 minute period that front three can click Join
0: in the obsession Subscribe now at offtheball.com forward slash join
1: Off The Ball Breakfast Ireland's Sports Breakfast Show
2: Rachel O'Sullivan of Girls on the Balls, back with us in the studio, as is Koi Geeks' Cathy McNamee. Cathy, I'm going to start with you. I think you predicted on air here that it was going to be a 3-0 win for Ireland, and then... When it came to who you got, you bottled it and went for a 2 1, went for Ireland. Is this not.
3: Is no, you're actually mixing up myself and Rachel. Rachel predicted <laughs> you went for that. 3-0. T- uh, I went
2: with 2 1. Uh, all uh, the you stole your 2 1. Sorry. OK. <laughs> no, you should have just stolen her one. It was much better. Well, then, if you well, were playing. Rachel this did game actually that we text play. me
3: after the game and she was like, looks like I was kind of right, right about small. that
0: prediction.
2: <laughs> full three points, yeah. Uh, it could have been more. We were very good.
0: Yeah, to be honest, I was sitting there going, do not score another goal. I need to get this prediction right. Um, no, it could have, been, could have been more. It could have been nearly 3 0 in the first half. Um, so that's definitely a positive sign uh, for this kind of new Ireland. Very exciting.
2: How did we line up? What was the the difference between, notwithstanding obviously, Tyler Tolan straight in the team, which uh, I think probably is going to become a bigger story as, as time goes on. But anyway... Um, What was the difference between this and a Vera Pau team?
0: Um, I feel like we were more attacking, first of all. Um, I do think the opposition maybe allowed us to play like that as well. Um, But while there were, I think it was four changes from the team when Ireland last played Nigeria in the World Cup, um, but I do think those changes were due to injury as well. Um, But I just felt like Denise was playing a little bit higher. um, They were pressing more better um, I mean it took them a little while I think to find their feet the first kind of 30 minutes I think were a little bit wasteful in possession um, but I think we've seen that from a lot of teams in the Nations League at the moment particularly teams throughout the World Cup it just takes them a little while to find their feet but once they got rolling um, just the, it was just the attacking intensity that I think were probably not as you used to seeing. Um, we were getting a lot of joy up the, the wings, which we often do with Katie McKay, but it just felt like there was more of it yeah. uh, and more regular um, between her and Lucy Quinn.
2: Yeah, Kathleen, obviously we need to take into account that we were playing much better teams at the World Cup, but at the same time, I think the intention is the important thing here. And that's one aspect of it and then the other aspect of it you might just talk to us about is the pressure that the players must have felt it's a homecoming there's been a lot of noise as Eileen Gleeson said and maybe that explains a bit of the the opening half hour as well but just what was your uh, take on how well they responded to the pressure and also the new instructions
3: I think they settled into it, as you said, after a while. Like, definitely, I saw a couple of times in the opening, like, 10, 15 minutes, Lucy Quinn was getting really frustrated with the balls that were coming into her, and I asked her about it afterwards, and she was like, it was partly selfish that you want the good passes coming in, but she was like, it was also annoying myself, because I knew I wasn't, like, my first touch wasn't as good, and yes, the passing into me could have been better, but I also needed to perform a little bit better, too. I think also what I saw, which impressed me, is that it felt like our set pieces had like a lot more structure on them than they did before. You know, there was one Katie put in in the opening half hour that wasn't great. It was floated in like kind of high and wide over the top of everyone's head. But you could see for every other one that they were targeting very specific people and there were systems in place and it wasn't like floated in and hopefully Louise Quinn or someone gets their head on it. You know, it was very obvious that they were targeting players like Caitlin at the far post a couple of times. So for me we have always said we're not a team that are great at scoring from open play and even arguably the goal we did get, you know, Kira Caruso's, it was as much a defensive mix-up as it was us actually creating a chance. Like, obviously she had to be in the place to score it in the first place, but I think the fact that there was a lot more intention to those set pieces was really positive for me, knowing that that's going to be a really useful tool for us in terms of getting goals. And I also think that, like, in terms of, how the team reacted to it to me after being in an Australia and seeing them in three big stadiums it was actually totally normal seeing them run out on the pitch and I didn't get the sense that they were completely overwhelmed by the experience in the way they possibly would have a couple of months ago and I think that's really really positive for the team going forward like it would almost be weirder for me now seeing them in Tala rather than seeing them on the Aviva stage more often
2: yeah, that's one of the conversations that's happening. I suppose it was more the noise around the team that they managed to deal with pretty well.
0: Yeah, I actually think it was a benefit though to be playing at the Aviva because it gave them something else to focus on and something else to be positive and excited about. Um, and as Kathleen said, like they're used to now the big stage and the big crowds. Um, so I feel like that was what the focus was. The focus was on the positivity, the excitement, and um, the fresh kind of new beginnings. Uh, and I think, yeah, we saw that once the game got going, once they got into it after thirty minutes or so, um, they were buoyed by that support and by the crowd and by the occasion. And you could see it every time, you know, they got a goal or did something positive. It was a really kind of positive fist pump. Like, it just looked like they were all living their dream out there. Um, so that it was, was great the one thing they all looked yeah. like they were really enjoying themselves. Yeah, it's lovely to see. <laughs>
2: I mean, there's obviously a subtext to that, right? <laughs> <laughs> right.
3: <laughs> Even after the game and stuff, like chatting to Eileen Gleeson, there was just a a relaxness to a lot of the players and to her that I wasn't really expecting. Um, they all seemed to have been quite positive about what they played. Like Eileen Gleeson was talking about the different tactics and the formations that they'd worked through. And obviously, it's a little bit different bringing in players like Tyler Toland and Caitlin Hayes. Like Caitlin Hayes has had a week to adjust to this team and I thought she was easily could have been player of the match with how she played. Um, Tyler Toland obviously was the player of the match. And we're looking at a squad that has been incredibly settled for a very long time and there hasn't been a massive amount of debate about what, the starting 11 will be one or two positions maybe you would say we're up for grabs at different stages or if there was an injury but by and large it's been quite settled and I think the fact that it was changed up a bit and the fact that the whole team reacted to it is also a good sign of things to come um, because we do need those players coming in you know our back line is getting on a little bit and we need younger players like um, Kaylin Hayes coming in who like even though she's 28, 27, 28, I think.
2: Just turned 28,
3: yeah. yeah. Yeah, she has that maturity, but also she still has a few years in her so that whenever we're bringing through the even younger players,
0: there's still that chain of succession and also experience there, which I think is really important. You also have to factor in as well it was a Nations League match. It was a must-win game. It was probably going to be the toughest game in the group. And a derby is always kind of a sticky situation. I think we talked about it the last time was, should they be topping this group? Um, and this was going to be probably the toughest match. So there's that added element to it as well. And I think the way they brushed aside Northern Ireland is hugely positive. The fact that Albania and Hungary drew, meaning they're both only on the one point, they share the points, is another positive for Ireland as well. So there's a lot, there was a lot of layers to that match, I think. And I think they handled
1: it really well and it looked like I don't want to be too harsh on Northern Ireland but it, it did look like in terms of conditioning there was a bit of a gulf between the teams I'm not sure is it down to the fact that maybe Northern Ireland have they have five home base players and I think all, all of uh, all of the Republic of Ireland's players are basically playing at a, uh, at a higher level uh, at club level which I guess is probably testament to, to where these players are at but even to someone like Tyler Toland who's not playing at the top tier of English football it just shows the work that's going on at WSL2 to, to get these players up to scratch
0: What I thought was interesting, actually, I thought Northern Ireland looked more match fit in the first kind of 20 minutes or so in terms of their sharpness and their passing right. because it, it just looked like Ireland hadn't, hadn't played together for a while and a lot of them ha- were out of season if you like a lot of them hadn't necessarily started so I think from that perspective they looked a bit more comfortable under pressure a bit more comfortable on the ball but once Ireland kind of found their feet that just faded they couldn't kind of maintain that and I think yeah that is testament to the fact that a lot of them wouldn't be playing professional football right now and I think that's something I think Tanya Oxby will be keen to maybe address where she can obviously with her links to the WSL I'm sure she will be hoping hoping she can get a few more players playing professionally because we've seen what that can do to a a squad once you've got more players doing that.
2: There's a big opportunity for this group to make a quantum leap forward now and that's really what the challenge is. So do we feel like we saw the coaching ticket of the future or what's the performance? Because it was such a good performance Mm. and everybody, as you say, seemed so happy and there's a real feel-good factor to it. You can see the FAI going, right, that looks like it's okay we've got this other thing over here which we need to also worry about
3: well I think Karen Duggan made a really good point on this on the podcast on Koi Gig on Friday when we were talking about it and she was like can absolutely see Eileen Gleason staying on as manager and think she's built like a really interesting background team there but do we want to lose her from that director of women and girls football role? Because she lives and breathes Irish football and what she's doing from a grassroots level all the way up is really, really important. And you need that sort of person in that role. So, like, I think there's going to be a massive conundrum to a certain extent for the FAI to come back and say if they offer her the role or think that, you know, she should take it on further. They also have to consider losing her from that other position and who they bring in there that's going to maybe live and breathe it as much as she does. Uh, and it's interesting when you talked to her about it last week, and I didn't really cop it as much at the time, but I was chatting to Stephen Doyle when we were on co at the weekend. And he was saying, if you actually listened to everything Eileen Gleeson said whenever she was asked about it, She never said no. She just started talking about how important that other role was. So I'd be really interested to see as time goes on, will the bug hit her a little bit more? You know, she said on Saturday when I was talking to her after the match a week and a half ago, I was just, you know, sitting at home doing my normal day job. And here I am after leading a team out in front of 36,000 people at the Aviva. You know, she was like, life is mad and it can change very quickly. So I wouldn't be all that surprised if her, opinion on maybe wanting to take the role did change over the next little while.
1: You'd wonder, does it come down to the fact that for the FAI, is it easier to find a candidate to become Republic of Ireland manager or to fill the, the job that, that Eileen would leave behind?
3: Yeah, I definitely think that's probably what it would come down to and I think I would probably say it's easier to find a manager than it is easier to find someone really? to fill I out. I said the other.
2: I would have gone the opposite way.
0: Mm, I'd agree, actually. I think finding someone who lives and breeds the country and the sport and knows everything that's gone on before and and knows the work that's gone into it you can't teach that whereas having like a a manager that's got you know international experience I feel like will be just that little bit easier to find than the other way around
2: alright okay because the director of football is like uh, are these coaches any good is is the coach uh, uh, pathway and the player pathway are they good whereas actually finding somebody who lives and breathes the the country but also manages the national team I think is a very, very True, rare. True, but often
0: in women's football you can have people in these roles that they do kind of, they not tick a box but they they do the bits that they have to do and sometimes you can see the difference when someone is living and breathing the sport, I think.
1: <laughs> yeah,
2: fair enough. Okay. Jo so convinced.
1: It'd be great if you could do both.
0: Yeah, yeah well, there you go.
1: Well, I mean, that sort of Razzie Erasmus style, you know, yeah. uh, ever-present sort of figure in, in, in their, their country sport. So, like, have you got wind of who the other candidates would be post-Gleeson if she were to go back to the job? Or, or, or I'm, not, I'm not saying to, like, you know, give us any secrets or anything here, but are, are there rumours doing the rounds in, their, in the press room on match day at the moment?
0: You tell me, Kathleen. It's not, not that I've heard, but I know there's a lot of managers currently available. <laughs> there is a lot of managers currently
3: available. Um... I mean, I've heard a couple of names around the place, but it's also all been ones that I don't think are very likely. Like there was talk at the start that Casey Stoney had been approached, and I was like, "Well, she just moved her entire family over to the U.S., so I don't think that's going to happen." Um, um, but mostly, seems to be ones kind of from the English setup and the Welsh setup that I've heard mentioned in association with it, but I feel like because of everything that's happened over the last while, I don't know how seriously they have started actually approaching candidates and getting serious responses. Um, like I think the next international windows this started December. Is yeah. December is the next game. Um so I mean, it could be a case where you just say dialing Gleeson, you take the team until the end of the year, and then that gives them a bit of time. There are quite a few managers around the place after the World Cup. I think of something like eight or nine of them were um, let go by federations or didn't have their contracts renewed. So there are international managers out there. But uh, it it seemed like all the focus and the talk over the last while has been about Vera Pau and how that situation was handled and the review and then the comments... don't know if the FAI have actually had all that much time yet to kind of put that all to bed, but I hopefully that process will start in full flight soon.
0: Go I on. guess given the nature of the Nations League as well, with the group that Ireland are in, you know, it, it gives them, you know, not, and we don't want to sound arrogant, but like it gives them a little bit more flexibility, I guess. Um, now they've gotten this game out of the way to maybe allow Ireland to to keep hold of it for a while.
2: Yeah, uh, in a weird way, if the men's team have been relegated the last time when we didn't because they changed the rules and we stayed in that division if we'd gone down our division it might have been better for Stephen Kenny who knows but um, with this as well the next manager if we win this group is going to have like four or five of the best teams in the world in their group so it's tricky it's and like, this is
0: what I mean about like obviously it's looking great under Eileen at the moment but like you also don't want to get carried away with
2: a group that has who, Germany, England, Spain in it next time
0: this is going to be a completely different challenge yeah. so it's it's but also amazing yeah this is what you want like suddenly we're top, like in League A that's, that's what you want yeah fingers crossed
2: uh, and so uh, I'm going to ask this question without telling you in advance uh, it's, it's straightforward qualify win the group qualify for the top division and do we then automatically get a playoff for the Euros or do we get qualified at-
1: if it's the same as the men's it's an automatic playoff
2: right so that's the least worst that we can do and then there's still a group to go
1: assuming you top your league be uh- we have to laugh in here.
2: What's the, <laughs> well, um, no, because
3: Rachel and I were talking about this <laughs> on Friday before we came on air, and just about like how complicated the whole process and, is. Don't bring it up, much. whatever you do. <laughs> don't ask do you not me? remember when this whole thing first was launched, like the Women's Nations League, and I had to come on air and explain it,
0: and I had like notes and I had like diagrams, and I was like still couldn't understand it properly enough to explain it to people? But I did it on yeah. a podcast and thought I'd done a great job, and then I came out and was like, no, that was wrong. That was wrong. That was wrong. <laughs> Stop it. So.
1: Yeah. I think that's been every single presenter on this show since the Nations League uh, was, was officially uh, come up with yeah. by, by UEFA. But I presume it's an automatic semi-final if they top this group uh, so, for look, a playoff.
3: Like, I think the major thing out of this is like we have this group that we should top. We should get out of. that. That's really important. But also this is a really important time for this team as well to develop what it wants to be and develop players so like we need to be giving the younger players a bit of an opportunity in these games getting to see what they're like I understand maybe on Saturday why that was less of a case although I suppose arguably starting Tyler Tolan probably is saying a bit of that but it's a good opportunity to see the likes of you know Whelan who's just come back into the squad after being out for a while um, see a bit more of Abby Larkin more Tyler Tolan, more of Caitlin Hayes using that opportunity to get these players and then once hopefully we are playing against the bigger teams and stuff and we're attracting bigger teams here we can have more days out like Saturday at the Aviva because like, you're probably not going to sell out as many tickets for, I don't know Albania and Ireland but we want to be having like those Sweden matches in the Aviva again and S- developing the team that way too
2: so what do you you think because we were having this conversation a little bit earlier on um, there was definitely a sense after the match that the Aviva is the new home of the women's national team but what you're saying is that there might be occasional times when they don't use the Aviva for games
3: I think for the matches that are coming this year I think it'll be likely that they won't be at the Aviva I think it's going to take them some time but I 100% think that it should become more regular Um, Rachel and I were talking earlier about the the way Arsenal have done it with the Emirates you know every year they're steadily adding more and more matches and they're getting like bigger and bigger attendances but also they're marketing it really well and they're selling it really well to people and i think that's we need to make sure we're doing that um i can understand like i think some of the times of the games as well that are coming up maybe aren't great for encouraging people that should be there but we need to be planning these big games like whether it's friendlies or if it's the full-on internationals that matter for qualification we need to be looking ahead and saying okay what can we do? Like, that France game that was in Tala 100% should have been in the Aviva. I, I don't... Like, I was having the discussion this morning with Karen on the Koi Gig pod, which is out now if anyone wants to listen to it. But, um, you know, she was saying, oh, but we should sell out Tala first. And I was like, we just sold 36,000 tickets for the Aviva. Like, if we're 500 tickets off... Tala it doesn't matter in the same way anymore because we know we can do this, and we need to like get ourselves out of that headspace and also this team has just proven like I know the World Cup wasn't what we wanted, but we can play on the bigger pitches. The issue wasn't bigger pitches when we were playing in Australia the issue on the the bigger pitch wasn't an issue for us on Saturday it was a bit of a issue for Northern Ireland and the bigger stadium, so like we need i mean, we need positivity I think going into this i to me it was it was. It would be unusual seeing the team in Talley again. I, they belong on that bigger stage now.
2: For me. Right. So we're nearly out of time. But what do you what do you think?
0: 100% agree. I think you know. Should they top this group, the first thing the FAI should do is to announce what games are going to be played in the Aviva, um, in the following kind of part of the year, the following part of the the Nations League. Um, there's an, a huge amount of marketing that needs to go into it. I think sometimes clubs we see in the WSL think if we put on the big stadium people will come. There needs to be marketing behind it. But equally what you were saying about Tala, you know, oftentimes the the clubs or the grounds that they normally play in are not that easy to get to, so you won't always fill them out, you know, and I think having that that idea in our head that we can't do this until we fill this out just puts unnecessary limits on us. I think, like you say, selling nearly five times the the top crowd is what, seven thousand or something, seven and a half thousand, you're getting nearly five times that at the at the Aviva.
2: Yeah, it was great. And it was really easy for people to get tickets and the ticket pricing was Excellent. And the atmosphere
3: around it was great. Like, you can't, if you go to Tala, you can't really, like, hang out with other supporters before the game because there isn't really just the space to do it. Whereas walking up to the Viva, you know, there was people out having a pint before a game, or there was, like, kids sitting along the road, like, eating their snacks and waving their flags and having a great time. You know, you, you don't really get that in Tala, you don't get that sense of togetherness and energy around it. So I think it can only be a positive. Off the ball,
1: breakfast. Ireland's Sports Breakfast Show.